The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. All right, good morning again. If you're just joining us, we're so glad uh, you tuned in with us. Um, I'm aware that uh, not just our normal Fountain of Life community is tuning in, and I sure miss you guys. It's good to see. It's good to be seen by you, I guess. Um, I miss you all so much, and then I know some of you uh, are tuning in from abroad, and we're so glad you're here. Thank you for joining us. Uh, miss, miss meeting with you all. Can't wait for the day we can be reunited. A couple things I want to share with you before we hit the uh, sermon text. We want to get more connected this week. Um, we have several groups meeting over Zoom, and so uh, including Bible study on Wednesday, morning and evening. So if you want to get connected to that or to any other groups, email us, email at folfcrc.com. We'll get you connected. Also, if you're listening from somewhere else and you're not in our usual community emails, email us, email at folfcrc.com. We'll get you plugged in as much as we can. Uh, Also, we hope you're doing okay. We hope you're hanging in there. Uh, If there's anything we can do as a church to serve you, whether it's prayer, someone to listen to, or even uh, meeting basic needs, please let us know. If you need groceries or you need assistance, uh, let us know. Email at folfcrc.com. We want to serve you. The third thing I'll mention right now, we're hoping to live stream some worship this Friday evening. We can sing together. So um, email us if you want to have, if you have a song you really want to have sung Friday evening. We'll try to get that in. Um, but for now, we're going to get back into 1 John this morning. 1 John chapter 2. Verses 7 to 11, so I hope you got a Bible out in front of you in some way. Uh, well, we're going to get back into our study through 1 John. 1 John is a, a letter written by, at the time, uh, the old apostle to encourage the churches. And so we're going to look at a section of that letter now. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 to 11. Let's read God's Word together. 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray and ask for help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for everybody tuning in to listen. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would do what I could never do, that you'd reach out and touch each one of us. We could hear your word with open ears, um, see you with open eyes, believe you with soft hearts. Do this work in us as we look at your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the question John has been asking and answering in this letter is, how can you really know that you really know the real God? How can you know that you know God? This idea is what Christians have always called, uh, I guess, the doctrine of assurance. Assurance is the experiential confidence that you really have a relationship with the real God. You know 
You know him. You know he knows you. He's got you. He's changing you. You have a relationship with him. So we've been setting through 1 John, and we've, been, and we've seen that the apostle wrote this letter so that Christians could have assurance, so that they could know that they know God and are known by God. So again, we're asking this question. How can you really know that you really know the real God? Before we get to what John says, I just I want to give you a couple of reasons why this issue is so important. A couple of reasons why assurance is so important. First reason. We live in a time when there's so much we don't know. And in situations like that, it's essential to be grounded on the most important things that you do know. In a time where there's so much you don't know, it's essential to be grounded on the most important things that you do know. Let's think of the rather scary things we don't exactly know right now. We don't know exactly how bad this virus is or how bad it's going to be. We don't exactly know when or if life is going to get back to normal. We don't know what normal is going to mean. We don't know about the economy. We don't know about our jobs. We don't know about the health of some of those that we love. We are facing the harsh reality right now that we are not in control. There's big things we do not know. So when all of that is shaking, it leads to this important question. What of deepest importance do you know? What are you going to build your life on right now when everything seems to be uncertain? What are you going to trust your future to when you don't know what's coming around the corner? What are you going to rest your heart in? What can you know in these times when it seems like so many things we used to know are coming undone? You know, Jesus told us that horrible crises would come upon the world, didn't he? He said that. Uh, It feels shocking when it happens, but we know from the world and world history or we know from his word in, in world history, we know this is going to come. But Jesus also told us that he would be more than enough for us in any situation. Didn't he tell us that? Then in the end, he'd bring us to himself. Do you know him? Do you know him deeply? How do you know that you know him? So that's why we need assurance. In a time when there's so much we don't know, it's essential to be grounded on, have our hearts grounded on the most important things that we do know specifically about Jesus and who he is for us. The second reason why thinking about assurance is so important, uh, again, assurance is this experiential confidence that you really know the real God. A second reason it's so important is because it's very possible to have false assurance. In other words, you can feel like you know God and not know him at all. Uh, sociologist uh, Christian Smith wrote a couple books, very important, very insightful, and basically he told us about the most popular religion in America. This is what he called it. He said the most popular religion in America is moralistic, therapeutic deism. I just threw some big words at you. Let's unpack that. Moralistic. It's the idea that most people believe, hey, what we really need to aim for is just, just be a nice person. Be a good person. Be moralistic. Second, it's moralistic therapeutic. Therapeutic means it's this, it's this assumption that God exists to give you what you want to make you feel happy. The goal is for you to feel happy. Be nice, feel happy. And then Christian Smith called this moralistic therapeutic deism. Deism means that God is distant. And it also means he's kind of undefined. You, you can kind of invent who God is and what he is based on your preferences. 
So, hey, just be a nice person. God just wants you to be happy. Well, what God? It doesn't really matter. Just some God out there. And so the motto for that religion, again, he says it's the most popular religion in America. The motto for that religion is, hey, we're spiritual but not religious. The reason I bring that up is because if most people believe that, and I think they do, they have a sense of assurance that they know God. And the Apostle John would say, if that's all you've got, that's a false assurance. You don't know him at all. I think the Apostle John would say that moralistic therapeutic deism is shattered by the combination of Jesus' claims and the reality of his resurrection. John saw this. John heard it. Jesus claimed to be truly God in the only way to the Father. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And Jesus predicted and accomplished his death on a cross for sins and his resurrection from the dead, which, which validates everything that Jesus said. What this means is that if you, any sense of spirituality without Jesus is false. And it gives a false assurance. John would say, if you don't have Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, you don't know God. And that's why John's witness is so important. That's why this letter is so important. First of all, John has unique credibility. He's an eyewitness of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Read the Gospel of John. You'll see Jesus through John's eyes. Moreover, Jesus himself made John an apostle, which means Jesus gave John and the other apostles the authority to proclaim him. And that, friends, gives us clarity. Clarity. From the credibility of John, we have clarity on what it means to know God or not. This is how we know. So as an eyewitness, as an apostle, John can write and give clarity with authority on how to know we can know God. And that's the point. The reason he gives the clarity is so that we can move into confidence, the joy of confident assurance. Yes, I know God. He knows me. I know his love. And that's what we want for one another today. So a quick review on what we've seen in 1 John so far about how we know God or not. All these, uh, these previous messages are on our website if you want to check those out. But I just want to do a review of four basic criterion John has given so far of assurance. There's these four categories for life that you've got to have some participation in. You've got to have some reality of this in your life for, do, for you to be able to know that you know God. The first test is this. What do you believe about Jesus? Who is he? What has he done? The second test is what you confess about your sin. This has been so challenging, but also so encouraging. If anyone claims he has no sin, John said, you're a liar. And the truth is not in you. You're not not being honest with yourself. So John would say, if, if if your heart's trust is that you're a good person in and of yourself, John would suggest You might not know God, because the second criterion of knowing God is knowing who he is and who you are in the light of him, and that you have sinned. You are a sinner. So the first test is what you believe about Jesus. The second test is what you confess about your sin. The third test is how you respond 
to Jesus' commands. We saw this two weeks ago. Is your love for Jesus shown in your desire to obey? Now, thankfully, right, uh, true assurance or knowing that you know God, that's not just for perfect people. If it was, no one would have it. And we know that from step two, the the confession. We confess we're sinners. We're, we're not perfect. I'm far from perfect. I've never done any of this perfectly. But knowing that I'm not perfect, that, that moves me into a desire to, as I confess, as I trust in who Jesus is, wanting to obey his commands, not, not to earn my salvation, but because I love him. So that's the third, the, the third uh, criterion is how you respond to his commands. And so this morning we're seeing the fourth criterion. The first one was, what do you believe about Jesus? Second was, what do you confess about your sin? The third is, how do you respond to his commands? And the fourth is, do you love your brothers and sisters? Do you love? It's the test of love. Are you committed to practically loving your brothers and sisters in Christ? And so we're going to be thinking about that fourth test, that fourth criterion, that fourth way we can have assurance, know that we know God, and we're going to look at this test of, well, do we love? And I got three points for you as we look at 1 John now. 1 John 2, 7 to 11, here's three points. We're going to see the new command. We're going to see it's a new command for a new day. And we're going to see it's a new command for a new day from a new name. A new command for a new day from a new name. Let's start with 1 John 2, verses 7 to 8. John says, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you. We say, well, that's strange, John. Uh, what is it? Is it old? Is it new? How can it be old and new? What's he saying? Well, first of all, let's remember Christianity is not a new religion. It's a fulfillment of the oldest religion. And the command that has always gone hand in hand with knowing the God of the Bible is this. God's people are to love their neighbor. That's, that's from the beginning. Leviticus 19.18. God's word says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'm the Lord. It's from the very start. If you know me as your Lord, how do you treat your neighbor? Love. And it's very practical. In Leviticus 19.18, uh, no grudge, no vengeance. There needs to be forgiveness. And as John says here in his letter, the, the churches he was writing to, they've heard this before. This is not new news to them. They knew what Jesus taught. John said, the old commandment is the word you've heard. Let's remember what Jesus said uh, in Matthew 22, for instance. He's asking Matthew 22, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? This is Jesus' response, Matthew 22, 37. Jesus said, here's the, here's the great commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So these two together are the sum of all the parts. Really love the real God with all that you are. And really love your neighbor with the same attention that you love yourself. So it's not a new idea, is it? Um, but we still need to hear it, don't we? Do you need to hear this old idea? Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. 
You know, in tough times especially, I think we need to remember the command to love. In a crisis, it's easy to get hyper-focused on the problems out there or hyper-focused on self-preservation or hyper-focused on the numbers. Jesus says, this, this right here is what always needs your hyper-focus. Are you still actively loving God with all you are? Has that been lost in your life? Do you get distracted? Do you get skeptical? Do you get cynical? Are you moving into loving him? Moreover, are you still actively loving loving your neighbor? And it's going to take some creative work, some extra work in a time where, right, we have to do some distancing, at least uh, spatially. But is it a priority for you? Is it a passion for you to somehow still love your neighbor? We constantly need to be reminded of this and to be refreshed on this. And, And John wants to give that to us here because the way to be refreshed on living out the old commandment to love your neighbor is to see how it's new. The way to be refreshed on living out the old commandment to love your neighbor is to see how it's new. So John says, hey, it's an old commandment. It's also a new commandment. How is it new? Well, you remember, we've said that the Gospel of John, where, where John writes about Jesus' life and his teaching, uh, what he did, his death, resurrection, the Gospel of John has so many echoes that show themselves out in this letter of 1 John. And one of them is certainly the idea of this new commandment. I want to read to you what Jesus said in John 13, verse 34. John 13 34. There Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Let's just pause. Well, that's not new. We already know that we're supposed to love one another. but, But wait, he's about to tell you how it's new. So Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Here's how it's new right here. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. In fact, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the newness of the command to love, we see, is found in the nature of Jesus' love for his people. This is the newness. It's the way Jesus shows us love like no one else ever has. Just remember the context of John 13, what's going on. It's his last evening with his disciples. That very night, he's going to be betrayed by Judas. He's going to be abandoned by his friends. He's going to be, uh, uh, Peter's, Peter's going to betray him as well. He's going to be crucified by his nation. What would you be doing in that situation? You'd be hoarding eggs and toilet paper. What's Jesus doing in that situation? The Son of God, the King of Kings, takes the place of the slave and washes their feet. He washes Judas's feet. He washes Peter's feet. It's ridiculous love. And it's a foretaste of what he's going to do for them on the cross. It's a foretaste. The world has never seen, nor will it ever see, love like Jesus has shown. You'll never never see a greater example of love than Jesus. You'll never have a source of love for your own heart 
greater than Jesus. And you'll never have an empowerment for love to others greater than the empowerment Jesus gives. Jesus is the ultimate picture of love. He came from the heights of the heights, the exalted Son of God, and went to the lowest of the lows to take on flesh and even go to the point of a cross to endure the worst of the worst for the most broken and evil of people so that he could take them to the heights of the heights. He became flesh to die on the cross for sins so that those who deserve the wrath of God could be adopted as children of God and heirs of his kingdom forever. You will never see a greater picture of love than that one you see in Jesus Christ. And so the more you look at him and see him and know his love for you, it brings a total newness to the idea of love. A newness as to what love is, a newness as to the source of how you could possibly even want to love like this, and a newness of power to actually love. The new love is the love we see in Jesus Christ. It's loving others as Jesus has loved us. And John says this is a new love for a new day. Why do I say a new day? Well, John writes uh, verse 8, chapter 2, verse 8. At the same time, he says, it's a new commandment I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So John loves this illustration of light and darkness. We've seen this before. You remember chapter 1? God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And we kind of thought about how life means at least three things. God's light. God's light and his life, they go together. So his light means he's all-sufficient life as creator. He needs nothing and then just from his word, life. That's what it means that God is light. Number two, God is light means that he's morally good and beautiful. He always does what is loving, what is righteous, what is just. So he's, he has life as creator. He's morally good and beautiful. And number three, the idea that God is light means that he's ultimate reality. He's a source of truth. So just like light gives you the ability to see what's actually there, God is light in that he is true. He is real and he speaks the truth. He is the truth. So God is light means that he's life, he's good, and he's true. What then is darkness? Well, let's, let's walk it back. If light is truth, darkness is deception. If light is good, then darkness is evil. If light is life, then darkness is death. So here's the good news, John says. Darkness is passing away, and the light is shining. So think of dark, light and darkness like a transition between two ages, or between two eras, or between two kingdoms, or even moving from the dark of night to the sunrise in the day. John says there's a transition here, Darkness is dying, John says. There's an expiration on death itself. And it's not long from now. It's, it's good news. The darkness is passing away. Deception, evil, death, it's passing away. It has an expiration date. Its end is coming. Isn't it good to know? Uh, coronavirus, wars, earthquakes, 
Death, darkness do not have the final word. They don't win. They don't conquer. In the end, it's passing away. So even if the coronavirus takes you down in two weeks, go down with a rebellious hope that darkness does not win. Light has already shining. It has come. John says the light has come. Of course, it has come in the person of Jesus who is the light. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus is the light. He brings his people into the light. One day his re he will return and his light will own the place. And darkness will be done. That's why I say that Jesus' new love is for a new day. The night is passing away. The light is coming. Did you see what John said in verse 8? He said, it's a new commandment I'm writing to you, which is true in him. So you see the lo the, his love in him. But John says, it's also true in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. This, the sunrise began to break when Jesus came. And its rays are shining and spreading out. And how so? Here's how. The light John is talking about is the love seen in Christ. And that love continues to shine as God's people love one another. Our love for one another are those first rays of sunrise in a dark world. It's new love for a new day. When Christians love their sisters and brothers as Jesus has loved them, it shows that the light has come and that they are in his light. Your love for one another is shining evidence that you know Jesus and that you're in his light. It's exciting to think of, isn't it? The darkness dying, the light is breaking. We don't see it explicitly yet. Jesus hasn't come back yet in all his fullness, but you see the signs of it most greatly in his work for us and his life, death, and resurrection. And then the, uh, the shimmering of that in the love of his people for, for one another. And you start to see, don't you, why this is such an important test. It's an important test. How do you know? You know him. Well, if you walk in the light of who he is and his love, you'll shine that light of his love. Look at verse 10. <clears throat> there John says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. What do you think that means? If you love your brother, you abide in the light, and in you there's no cause for stumbling. Well, if you search out that word stumbling and how it's used in the New Testament, it can mean a, di a couple of different things. Uh, it can be bad teaching on who God is and what God wants that can cause you to stumble. Or it could be evil deeds and rebellion against God. You, st you stumble in your, in your sin. You stumble in your brokenness. You kind of see how stumbling and darkness go together. How come you stumbled? You couldn't see. You weren't in the light. And what, who's the light? God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. If you have his truth and his love, that, that'll keep you from stumbling. But if you're separated from that, if you're blind, you, you won't be able to see. You won't, 
you won't know how to love. We remember, don't we? We saw that. Remember the criterion for how you know God. Uh, what do you believe about Jesus? Uh, what do you confess about your sins? The third one was, how do you respond to his commands? We saw a couple of weeks ago, Jesus said, I always do what my father commands because I love my father. And, and we, we heard Jesus say, if you love me, you'll what? You'll keep my commands. You, you already get this idea that love and commands go together. So if we love God, we want to keep his commands. This means, think about these implications. This means that obeying God's commands not only just tells us to love, but it defines what love really is. God's commands define how to truly love. That's why John says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. If you're loving in the light of who God is and the light of his commands, it'll keep you from stumbling because you'll have the light of what love really means. The reason I say this is because not everything that feels like love is actually love. Have you noticed? Not everything that feels like love is actually love. I can say to my kid, hey, what do you want for breakfast? Donuts, man. Donuts. I can do that six days in a row. What do you want for breakfast? Donuts. No, man, we're not having donuts today. We're doing like a, we're doing a kale green smoothie or something today. Don't you love me? More donuts. That's silly, right? But do you ever have to disappoint someone because you love them? Let's make the illustration a little more serious. What if you have an alcoholic friend? Hey, let's go for a drink. I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure. What, you don't, don't you love me? Don't you want to? Come on. If you love me, you come drink with me. Ah, I don't think that's love. How many bad boyfriends have said, hey, baby, if you really love me, and pressured that lady into something not very loving at all? Not everything that feels like love is actually love. How do we know what love is? God's commands. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 13. Romans 13, verses 8 to 10. So the Apostle Paul says, he says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. And he says this strange thing. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So in other words, if you purely love one another, you'll always be obeying God's commands. Listen to what Paul says next, verse 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10, Paul says, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Do you hear what Paul's saying? Sexual purity is wise love for your neighbor. Lust isn't love. Not murdering, not cursing someone from your heart. That's love. Love doesn't steal. Love doesn't even covet. Do you see how love for neighbor and obedience to God are intimately related? It's not just that God's command is that you would love your neighbor. It's that God's commands show you how to love your neighbor. And that's why when you walk in the light and love your neighbor according to God's commands, there's no cause for stumbling. 
It's clean. It's pure. It's light. It's good. Obey God by loving your neighbor and love your neighbor by obeying God. Now we can see why John then says in verse 11, 1 John 2, 11, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So here's the thing. We're thinking about how do you know you know God? And one criterion for that is, well, do, do you love your brother and your sister? And so an important question is, hey, who do you hate? Who do you despise as just not very important? And do you have the right to do that as a Christian, someone who belongs to Jesus? Do you know God? What does your life say about your practical commitment to loving God's people according to his commands? And what will the next few months say about your life in that way? Do you know God? If we won't love according to God's commands, John says we're in darkness. We don't even know where we're going. It's like being blind. What does that mean? Well, listen, when we won't love according to God's commands, we're not really seeing reality through the lens of who Jesus is and what he's done. Remember, Jesus is the light. His love is everything. His commandments are love. If your eyes are open to him and what he's done, you'll move forward in loving wisely. Uh, think about the issue of forgiveness. Somebody does something to you, says something to you, it was awful. You think, man, that's cruel. You're, it's stirring in you. You're, you're bitter towards them. You, you don't want to talk to them. You're, you're done with them. You think, they don't deserve my love. They don't deserve reconciliation. They don't deserve forgiveness. As you're thinking those thoughts, guess who you forgot about? You forgot about Jesus. And every time you forget about Jesus, guess what? The lights went off and it got really dark. And you can't really see. And you're stumbling about. But if your eyes are open to Jesus and his love for you, did you deserve his love for you? Do you deserve that? But what did he offer you anyway? How many times has he forgiven you? How many times has he let it go again? How many times have you treated him like he's not that important and he sticks with you and he calls you sister or brother? How many times has he interceded for you before the Father when you, when you were doing the opposite of anything that would deserve that? How many times, if, you, if you're seeing life through him, if, you, if the light of who he is is in your mind, you can't help but think, I've got to forgive this person. I've got to show him love. When the light of Jesus and who he is is on in your heart and your mind, you're going to move forward in love. And when you won't move forward in love, it's because that light is dimming or it's turned off. And that's why John says, this is the test. Do you know him? Do you know him? Will you love if you see him as beautiful, if you see his love for you, it's going to move you into loving one another. So we've seen a new love, Jesus and the way he loves. That's new love. New love for a new day. We love in the light of Jesus and his commands, and it's showing us. It's an, it's an evidence that the light is dying 
or excuse me, the darkness is dying, and the light has come, and it's seen in us and how we love one another. Didn't Jesus say, this is how everybody will know you're my command, or you're my disciples? How does, that, how does the world know we're his disciples? If we love one another. How do we know we're his disciples? If we love one another. New love, new day, new name. Why do I say new name? We'll look back up in verse 7. What does John call this church? Before he gives them the command to love, what's the name he gives them? What's the title he places on them? You see what he calls them? Beloved. Beloved. Over and over again, we see the best name for God's people in the New Testament. You know what the best name for God's people is in the New Testament? Those who are already greatly loved. That's your name. Beloved. You're so loved by Jesus. Let's remember, uh, can you gain God's love by loving your neighbor perfectly? Any of you, if you, if you died tonight and stood, stood before the Lord and you got the question, why should we let you in? Um, would any of you say, because... I always perfectly love my neighbor. Would anyone even try that? If you would, can I call your mom real quick and just... No one would try that. John is not saying, hey, if you love one another enough, you'll get up to where maybe God will think about loving you. It's never going to happen, and it'll never work. The way to move into loving others is to first be amazed by how much you are already loved, undeservedly loved. 1 John 4.19, listen, 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. While we were unloving and unlovable, we were loved. And Jesus has loved us wisely, He didn't say, hey, you're fine just the way you are. He said, no, you're a mess, and I have to die to save you. But then he said, I will die to save you because I love you. 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So where do you want to see love? It's not that we've loved God perfectly, that we've loved our neighbor perfectly. We haven't. You want to see love? He loved us and sent his son to be the substitutionary atonement. Love is seen in this. God sent his son to take your place. He lived the life of love you haven't. He paid for the sins you couldn't so that as you repent and trust in him, he'll make you his child and an heir of his kingdom. I just wonder if you have tasted love like that before. You ever seen love like that before? Could it really be for you sitting here right now listening to this? It is. It's his invitation. And you think, I haven't done it right enough. I haven't, good, I haven't done it good enough. I don't know enough. Listen, none of that matters. The only thing that matters is who Jesus is and what he's done and how do you respond to him. And if you trust in him right now, And you say, save me, I need you, I want you. Listen, he'll take you. 
and you can know his great love. Love that you never could have deserved, but that is lavished upon you in Christ. And the more you know love like that, the more you'll be set free to love others. The more you love others, the more you know that you know God and you know his love. So it's a new command for a new age from a new name. The new command, love one another as Jesus has loved you. A new, a new day, love for a new day. Darkness is dying. Light has come. That light is shining as we love Jesus with his love for us. It's a new command for a new day from a new name. The way you love is to know first that you're already loved. Your name is beloved. Those who are loved through faith in Jesus Christ. John, uh, 1 John 4.18 says this, There's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. We dwell on me or dwell with me on that just for a few minutes here as we close. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. There's a lot of things to be afraid about afraid of right now, right? Land your heart on this. God's love for you in Christ. Read, read the end of Romans 8 this afternoon. And see that nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. If you want a picture of his love, God proves his love for, the, for us in this, Paul says in Romans 5. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. In Jesus, you're loved. If you trust him, you are loved. God has not forgotten you. He's working in your life. Because you are loved, then be set free to love one another. It's a scary thing to love others, but there's no fear in love. The more you see God's love for you, the more you want to move forward uh, into loving others. So here's, here's a question for you as we leave. What are some creative ways you can work to love your brothers or sisters in the next week? How can you connect with somebody? How can you listen to them, pray for them, meet a need somehow? How can you give of yourself for someone else's good? Remember, you've been loved in Christ. You're in the light. The light is dawning. Let's shine that light and love one another as Jesus has loved us. And as we grow in that, as we live in that, we can know more and more that we know him and he knows us. So I want you all to know I love you. I love you all. I miss you so much. Far from perfectly, obviously, but genuinely. If there's anything we can do for you to love you more, let us know. Any questions about this morning's message, let us know. Email at folfcrc. I hope to talk to you all soon, uh, but let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the new love we have in Christ as we see him and the love that the world has never seen like him coming to get us, coming to save us. Lord, uh, give us that new love for a new day. Help us as we know his love to live his love out to one another, to love one another as he has loved us, and to do that from the power of the new name. Uh, we are beloved in Christ, not because we love perfectly, we don't, but because we've been perfectly loved by such a gracious God. As we look to you, Lord, and your promises, amaze us with your love and let that motivate in us love for one another. And let the world see the light as that occurs. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.